Rev it up and welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 1,991. We're closing in on 2,000 here. Holy cow. Be prepared to be inspired. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Hello, inspiring automotive enthusiasts, and welcome to Cars Yeah. Well, I'm back in the UK today, actually in Sussex, England, with a very special guest by the name of Tony Lewin. Tony, welcome to Cars Yeah. Do you have any gear, and are you ready to release the clutch? Uh, yes, I am ready to go. All right, we'll have some fun here. Now, before I give you a proper introduction and we dive into this very cool book, which is near and dear to my heart because it's about the BMW M car. I've had four of those cars, have one today. What's maybe one little thing about you, Tony, that maybe people don't know? Oh, gosh, all sorts of things. What do I say? <laughs> um, I didn't start off as a uh, as a journalist. I started off as a translator. Oh. So my interest, I've always been interested in cars, but I worked as a translator for all kinds of stuff, a lot of German, heavyweight German texts and things. Some of them were from um, car makers, so I was putting those into English, advertising copy and things like that. And um, I began to realize that actually it would be more fun to write this stuff myself rather than reprocessing somebody else's words so that's kind of what led me to look at journalism well this is very cool and you know those of us who are automotive enthusiasts are very happy you've done that because you've written some great books and we're going to be talking about one of them today let me give you a proper introduction tony lewin is a lifelong automotive commentator and industry analyst who spent much of his career testing cars analyzing them and reporting on the ups and downs of the global enterprises that build them he's a writer and editor for automotive news europe and has launched several pioneering titles for the Financial Times, as well as contributing regular columns for other national and international publications. And of course, as he said, he did some translating as well. He's authored books for publisher Motor Books, and today he's going to be sharing a newer book, the BMW M, 50 Years of the Ultimate Driving Machines. The book celebrates the 50th anniversary of these legendary German performance cars with stories, expert commentary, and fascinating photography. We'll be back in just a minute. But first, a word from our valued sponsor. So give them a little love and we'll be right back. Covercraft has the most complete line of custom seat covers available. Choose between the poly cotton seat savers, Endura Precision Fit custom seat covers, Leatherette Precision Fit custom seat covers, and their durable Carhartt seat covers. They're all easy to install and remove. And guess what? They're machine washable too. Easy cleanup to make them look brand new. No more worries about the kids spilling on your seats or your pets damaging your expensive upholstery or leather. Covercraft's quality seat covers protect from damaging pet claws, pet fur, hair, mud, moisture, food, drink spills, drool from permanently damaging your vehicle's fine surfaces. Headrest and armrest covers and color options are also available on many of the styles. And I've got a great offer for you. If you use the code YEAH21, Y-E-A-H-21 at Covercraft.com, they'll give you 10% off plus free shipping. That's right, 10% off and free shipping with the code YEAH21 at checkout. Covercraft, protecting the things that move you. Visit Covercraft.com today. 
Last year, I changed my collector car coverage to American Collectors Insurance. That's who now protects my Porsche Turbo, the one I call my orange crush. But did you know they also insure your valuable collections of automobilia and other collectibles? If you're like me, you've invested in a lot of cool collectibles over the years. Those items are valuable. And if you were to lose them in a theft or a fire, well, try to get your normal homeowner's insurance to pay you what they're worth. Good luck with that. American Collectors Insurance provides you with assurance and confidence that your collectibles are fully covered. They insure a lot of items, including automobilia, wine, baseball cards, books, figurines, die-cast models, model trains, glassware, sports memorabilia, toys, and a whole lot more. American Collectors Insurance, they've been protecting us enthusiasts since 1976. They provide you with an agreed value insurance policy backed by a long history of taking care of their clients. Give them a call today for your personal agreed value quote at 866-ACI-YEAH. That's 866-224-9324. Tell them you're a friend of mine, Mark Rains here at Cars Yeah. American Collectors Insurance. Classic car insurance designed by collectors for collectors. Automotive enthusiasts just like you and me. That's American Collectors Insurance. So, Tony, uh, let's talk a little bit about this book because, as my listeners know, I've had four M cars, uh, M3s. I have one now, a car that I've had for 15, 16 years. I bought it new. I love the M cars, the old E30 Ms, the 5 Series Ms. I mean, everything about them. Now, when I got your book, I was so excited. Uh, Steve at Motorbook sent it to me. It's 225 pages. It's very in-depth. And I learned a lot of things about the BMW M car that I didn't know. So, Let's start with this question. Why this car? Why did you take on this challenge? What is it about the BMW M cars that fascinate you? Um, I've always enjoyed driving them, most of them, that is. And I've always been, um, I've always covered BMW in some depth as a company, both as a reporter and an author. Um, I've written several books about BMW, so I feel I know the company quite well and some of its uh, um, officers quite well also, and designers and people like that. So, I also really respect the way the company has, you know, picked itself up in the 60s and become the world's leading um, premium car maker in the years that followed. It was a really bastard case then, and Mercedes nearly picked it up for a song and would have just pulled it apart and got, you know, used, I don't know what they would have done. But actually, it's it survived independently and it grew and grew through strength of design and a very focused appeal to people who enjoy quality cars um, which are fun to drive and sporty but not extravagant or you know flamboyant or luxurious in particular compared with Mercedes. Yeah absolutely. Were there some things when you were putting this book together that surprised you even with your experience with German motor cars and BMW with other books and, and things you've done with them? Well, I have to say I knew most of the ground quite well from earlier books. So there were a few things that were a surprise, yes, but nothing no, nothing earth-shaking was all you – know, I'm not trying to sort of derate the book or anything like that, but, you know, I, I knew most of the ground already, and I was just putting together the stuff I already knew. There are some surprising things, some projects that didn't happen um, that I did discover about on the way – all the way through – and um, also very interesting finding out about what the future is for high-performance cars in a, what's going to be an electric era in years to come. So that, that was the voyage of discovery, really, the future. 
Sure. When you in, uh, impart on a, a journey like this, and as I mentioned, this is 224, 225 pages. It's a big book, and there's a lot of information in here. This may be a silly question, but where do you start? Do you go back to the beginning of when the whole concept of the BMW M cars came to be and what the th thought process is? And in addition to that question of where do you start, was BMW very helpful as a company in providing you information to kind of open up the doors to the this incredible mark? They've been very helpful all along. Obviously, it was impeded by COVID lockdowns and all that kind of stuff. Right. So what would have been interesting face-to-face -face meetings in the factory or wherever were actually on Zoom or Teams or whatever. So it was all a bit more remote than previous books I've done. But no, they gave me very good cooperation. And their, their PR staff are very helpful too. And also providing contacts. Uh, through them, I was able to um, secure the forward by the guy, Jochen Nierpasch, who basically founded the, the company. So I had good conversations with him. It all worked very well, yeah. As regards what, where did I start, it's always very difficult with a big book like this. Do you have it chronological? Do you have it thematic? Do you do it model by model? I didn't want to just have a catalogue of lists of things. I want to tell a story. And I think that's why I decided to start with the history of the company and how its early history provided the nucleus of that expertise and that, that reputation in the market that then led to the creation of the M cars in starting basically in the, in the 60s and 70s. Was there a car, a BMW car, that you saw as a catalyst for that? I think of the 2002, especially as a car brought into the U.S. that was something rather different and unique and fun and sporty. Of course, those cars were raced as well. But do you see that car as maybe being the early starting point for M cars? Yes, I think especially the TII version. I don't know if you had that in the US with a fuel injection. Yes. And then there's, of course, the turbo, which is both, both famous and notorious, <laughs> yeah. depending on whether you're driving it in the wet or not. But um, those two certainly were some of the most important cars that set that reputation. I think particularly the, the little 2002 and even the 1602, the small version of that was great fun to drive. And that was a big, big hit, especially in the US. Um, it sold really well. And it taught people that you could have a lot of fun without a whacking great big block V8 and, you know, a huge fuel, fuel thirst. You know, one of the cars that they came out with, well, that the E30 is that car. Yeah. And I remember when that car came out, when I first looked at it, and, you know, maybe I'm, I was a snobby Porsche guy back then. I hate to say that, but I looked at it and I went, okay, what are they trying to do here? They're taking this kind of boxy three series car and trying to make it look like a racer of some kind, a little wing on the back and the flared out fenders. And at first I kind of looked funny at it and then I got to drive one. And I yeah. went, oh my, they're onto something here. I, I mean, the thing, the thing about that, I, I, I had exactly the same reaction. I thought this looks a bit over the top. It was looking a bit like an Audi Quattro, for instance, oh, you know, with yeah. a swollen okay. like But you know, I thought, why are they doing this? But actually, that was a racing car, and the road cars are very closely related to the racing cars because they had to build them for the road cars to to enter into the production car racing. Yeah, they were fantastic. And what did that car do for, in your opinion, with with this book, BMW's reputation is starting to dive into really serious sports cars. Was that really 
a tipping point, do you think, for BMW with that E30 M3? Uh, yes, it was still a pretty specialized machine. It was it was raw and racy and really quite nervous to drive. And, you know, it was not a comfortable car. It wasn't a quiet car. It was just tremendous fun. And you really did feel you were driving virtually a racing car on the road. And for many people, that was great. But it was not a wide appeal car. It didn't appeal to, you know, people would be driving probably not Porsches, but certainly not Mercedes drivers or anyone like that. It was too specialized for that. But, you know, it, it was a fantastic success. And on the racetracks, it demolished everything. Yeah, yeah, it's amazing. And you see now, of course, the values of those cars really starting to climb. I think as young people, people who are young in the 80s are now going, oh, okay, now I've got a job. Maybe I can buy this as a collector car because I dreamed about it back when I was a kid. So you really see numbers starting to go up uh, in the market. But of course... A lot of collector cars are going through the roof right now. It's just kind of one of those those uh, rapid climbs. I wanted to get your opinion of how BMW expanded the M into, say, the 5 Series, and then we can come all the way forward into today where they seem to be slapping the M on a lot of different stuff that really isn't an M. It's just um, a moniker that makes people feel better, I think, in some ways. But what was your thoughts on when they expanded into the big sedans and going, wait a minute, because... I'll, after I hear your response, I'll tell you what mine was. Uh, but but what was your opinion of that? And, and what did you learn in putting the information together for the book? Um, well, I think the, the I think you're probably referring to the um, E28 M5. Yes. Was a, the most ultimate Q car. It looked as boring as a standard M, <laughs> a standard 5 series. There was really very little to distinguish it. But it was an incredible car because it was really fast to drive, right. great to drive, still comfortable, still refined, you could still drive to the office in it, you could still take your, your parents out in it, no problem, you know, it wouldn't frighten the horses, but it, that showed that BMW could actually do both sporty and, um, you know, comfortable at the same time. Yeah. You know, when I first saw that, I went, okay, wait a minute, what are they up to? And then I drove one and I've driven this, the models that came after that, the different variations. And, you know, I got out of the first one I drove and I went, oh my gosh, that is awesome. Uh, it just kept pulling and pulling and pulling and the power kept coming on and coming on. I'm like, okay, when is it going to stop? Uh, I think I better back off the <laughs> throttle here. Uh, it blew me away. And while I've never had one, I've always looked up to them because I like smaller cars. I don't like big four-door cars. But that one that one kind of uh, tickled my fancy, as you would say. Absolutely. Yeah, I completely agree with you on that. And, of course, it was, it was, but not in the U.S., I don't think, the M635 CSI, which um, had that engine, which came straight out of the M1 supercar. That, that's when it, that was the first road-going M car. And that, again, it didn't look much different from the standard version, but boy, did it go. It was fantastic fun. And fine at the same time. Yeah, oh, I know. Put all your luggage in the back and uh, get there too. Now, you said the words M1. Yeah. We'd be remiss to not talk about that car a little bit. What did you learn about the M1? All kinds of things. I mean, it, it could have been, well, it was financially, it was probably a disaster for BMW. Everything went wrong with it at the beginning. It was designed... Um, to race, but by the time it was ready, it, the racing formula had gone. The, that class didn't exist anymore. Um, it was built in collaboration with Lamborghini, which was a very risky operation at the time. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, Lamborghini was slow and they kept almost going bankrupt. BMW pulled the project back in house 
and came up with this fabulously styled and then in the end well-made two-seater mid-engined supercar and uh, in in design it's hardly been surpassed since it's very elegant and if you look at one today you'll see how tiny it is compared with other cars it makes us realize that things have got very bloated over the years. Yeah, yeah, maybe I have too. Uh, I know that when I when I park my 87 Porsche Turbo next to a new 911, it almost looks like a toy. It's it's really yeah. staggering how big cars have become and, and so-called sports cars. Back to the M1. Okay, yeah. I've always wondered why did they do this? Why did they put a logo on both sides of the back of that car? Where, where else would you fit a logo? That, that's one of the problems. You know, it's one of space. Yeah. At the time, I didn't like it. I just didn't think that was a very nice solution, but I quite like it now. I, you know, I think it's and it's noticeable on the, the very latest BMW, which we'll speak about later, the XM concept. They've repeated that dual logo on the back, except it's on the corners of the roof at the back. Yes, of course. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's it's always bothered me a little bit. And and the reason being a a designer at heart, I thought, okay, they couldn't figure out what to do. So they just went, ah, just put one on each side. What the heck? And let's move on with it. But I don't know. It always has bothered me a little bit. Why not just pick one side? But that design in my mind has really stood the test of time. I have a good friend here in the Northwest, Eddie, whose father had one. And then I believe it might have been Eddie's car for a while. And he he let that go. And I think he's always kind of been sorry that he let it go. Uh, It was a little bit problematic i think you know hard to to keep running in some cases but it sure has stood the test of time the design is just beautiful yeah Yeah, exactly they now fetch in the hundreds of thousands maybe even into the millions now i don't know and of course it has that absolute accolade not there not very many were made Mm, Uh, so by definition they're rare yeah, if you could find one uh, to buy, yeah, snap it up. If you can uh, fit that in your checkbook, all the numbers. You're going to maybe need the golfer's check. There's a lot <laughs> of space there for a lot of numbers. Moving forward with the the M cars, you know, I, I mentioned this earlier, and you and I had a great talk about a week ago about this a little bit, the fact that BMW has started to use that M brand on their other models that are not what I would call M cars. But they have M packages and things like that. I mean, I think from a marketing standpoint, there's probably, probably makes some sense but as a diehard m guy something about it kind of bothers me a little bit but do you have any opinions on that uh, yes i do and some of them fairly strong opinions I, I don't think bmw has gone as far as some automakers in pretending things are sporty yes there is the uh, there is an m styling package which gives you uh I think maybe slightly firmer suspension and a few bits of trim here and there and maybe a different look slightly but there's nothing mechanically different that's not that doesn't go through the m department but if you've got something like the m135i or something a small car like that that does go through the m department it is noticeably better than the standard model but it's not it's not a full-blooded m car do you have any kind of crystal ball on the future of the m cars especially as we get into more evs do you think that That'll be slapped on an EV for BMW in the future? It, well, we've got the halfway house coming soon. There will be M versions of the i4, which is the 4 Series electric, and um, and other electric cars coming out as well. Um, that's fine. I think um, those models are, they have both gasoline and um, electric powertrains. You've got the choice. Um, when it comes to exclusively 
electric vehicles like the iX, which is a big SUV, whether there will be an M version of that, proper M version, rather than just an MIX, I don't know. Um, it's, I've spoken with the engineers quite a bit about this, and it does appear that it's actually very easy to make very good handling cars when you've got electric four-wheel drive. You can do far more than you can with a, a normal powertrain. So if you've got motor on the front axle and the rear axle, as most of the powerful ones do, you can then switch torque between left and right, front and rear, at you know, very, very fast, and you can get incredible responsiveness, your response, you know, that's YAW, yeah, turning in very rapidly and very quick correction of everything. So the potential for dynamic driving is tremendous. And the the, the um, engineers are very enthusiastic about this. They say we've got a lot of potential. Just wait to see what we're going to deliver. Okay. Well, maybe I'll cut them a little slack then, putting a name on those cars. Uh, yeah, I know what you mean. It's amazing the technology coming along uh, that can help both the uh, the great strong driver and and people that maybe are a little uh, lacking in their driving skill and get into a situation where they're overshooting something or they need to get around something very quickly, and the car does a lot of that work for them to help them. It absolutely does, yes. Yeah, absolutely. steer through it. Do you have a great driving inspiration or mentor in your life that's been a helpful person in your career? In terms of driving or... Um, it could in, be driving or it could be in riding or it could just be in plain old life. <laughs> well, gosh, that's a big, big question. I think in terms of driving, I've always been aghast at the uh, car control that rally drivers have. Oh. So I've been out in, in, in the passenger seat in rally cars, flying through forests and things like that at high speed. Um, and the control they have over those cars is tremendous. So being in a few rally cars, that's been great. Integrale, when they lads who was run, running a factory team, and the Toyota Celica GT4, I remember that won the world championship a couple of times. Um, but memorable experiences. And um, I also remember uh, uh, driving in a Ferrari F40 at Fiorano, going around with the factory test driver to start with, start with which was incredible. And then he said, okay, you have a go now. So that was also memorable. For me, I didn't spin it, I didn't crash it, but it was quite incredible. No kidding. Yeah. Yeah. Ah, that sounds like fun for sure. We're going to take a short break. Uh, We will be back in just a minute. Keep the seatbelts on. You know, I'm a huge car care fanatic, and my friends at AutoGeek have created their Wolfgang Deep Gloss Paint Sealant for perfectionists like you and me. Wolfgang Deep Gloss Paint Sealant is designed to provide long-lasting protection and a glossy, slick finish that's unmatched. The use of their polymer technology ensures your paint is protected from the environmental contaminants that are out there, UV rays, and a lot more for up to three months. By providing glossy look of carnauba wax with the longevity of synthetic formulas, Wolfgang Deep Gloss Paint Sealant is the best of both worlds. Go to autogeek.net and get yours for the best product selection on the internet today, along with their skilled technical support. Autogeek.net is where I go for all my detailing needs. That's autogeek.net. I've discovered Linkage. It's a new quarterly publication and website that covers the automotive market, driving, restoring, collecting, and discovering your passion for motor vehicles. Linkage is about experiences, opinions, and values. 
Linkage is an actual, informed, reasoned opinion based on first-hand experiences. A talented Linkage team covers the automotive world, the people who share your passion and mine, smart, considered, rational, and experienced opinions, ones you can learn from and grow. That includes our passion that drives auctions and the collector car market. So come with me and join us on this journey. And be sure to use the code CARSYEAH when you subscribe, and they'll give you $10 off. Boom! Linkage, geared for the automotive life. Subscribe today at LinkageMag.com. So were there any big challenges you faced in putting this book together, Tony? I assume there's always challenges with books. One of them you mentioned was COVID, of course, and I've had many authors on this show that had to deal with the COVID situation where they couldn't physically go to a location to do research and, and so forth. That adds a lot of a lot of challenges. Had a lot of challenges to everybody's life the last two years and sadly seems to continue. But for your book, was there a big challenge that you had to face and overcome? I think I, one of the challenges is always to gain the confidence of the people you're speaking to and get them to let you, let you into their world. Um, not force them, but just encourage them to talk, particularly about, you know, future product, things in the pipeline, the way they'll be thinking in five years' time. I think I coached coach some of that out of them. So you'll have to read the book to find out. But, you know, um, I, I think that was one of the challenges. Obviously, there's a challenge of putting it all together and deciding when to stop putting new stuff in because new models come out all the time. Do you hang on for this new model or not? Or do you go to press? And the publishers are quite tough on that. They don't want to delay things at all. So you have to just impose yourself a cutoff date. Yes. That was one of the one or two of the challenges. Yeah. Well, that's something I deal with every day, getting people to open up and talk. So yeah, I've learned you just be friendly and inquisitive. <laughs> Ask questions and shut up and listen, right? Yeah, quite. Yeah, yeah that usually works. What happens is compressing all that information into those 230 whatever oh, pages. Gosh. Yeah, that's the hard it's part. It's discipline, yeah. Discipline, yeah, absolutely. You know, you sent me some great pictures of some vehicles you have. Is there a special vehicle in your life that you've had? Now, this this could even, I'll expand it if you'd like. This could even be a vehicle, like you mentioned, driving that Ferrari uh, at the test track there um, at the Ferrari factory. But is there one vehicle that really stands out for you? Maybe you could share a little story about? Yeah, two or three cars I've owned, I've, I've loved. Um, I had a, what, the first BMW I actually owned was a 2002 Ti Touring, which was the unsuccessful hatchback version of the, the 2002 it was great fun to drive but pretty scary in the wet yeah because the previous owner had put large tires on which gripped really well in the drive but in the wet they had very little grip so I, roundabouts which i don't think you really have to no, we of. actually have them here in the in the pacific northwest now if people could just figure out how to use them that would be great yeah, but anyway, sometimes it would go around a bit more sideways than you expected. But it was good fun to drive, and it gave me a taste for BMWs. Um, the I think the car I've enjoyed most that I've had is a Porsche Boxster. Not a sort of super-duper, all-singing-and-dancing powerful one. It was just a 2.7. I just love that car for its harmony, its balance, it, it, everything, the sound it makes, you know. If I could have one again, I would have one of those, I think. And there was an Alpha I had when when I was a student. The only time I've ever put a note on a car's windscreen to say, if you're interested in selling this car, um, 
let me know. And I got a phone call quite quickly, which was a little bit suspicious. Uh, it was a beautiful uh, Ju- Julia Sprint GT, which is the Botoni shape that started in the, in the 50s. Yeah. Really sleek, fastback. Uh, but it was actually a lot of trouble, and to run it on a student budget was just impossible. And in the end, I, had, I, I sold it to somebody um, for a, a pittance, and after having worked on it a lot, and and now they're worth seventy, eighty thousand pounds, dollars, whatever. But they've had huge, you know, restoration on them. Oh yeah, I'd, I'd love one of those again one day. Well, you would have spent far more than that on the car over all these years. I can guarantee you that uh, had you kept it. But, ah, yes, the allure of the Italian girl, uh, the Alpha Julia. Yes, uh, she can lure you in and then wipe you out. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, but they are beautiful cars for sure. Now, I'm going to be your car psychologist a little bit here. Now, this is a little bit of a goofy question for some people, but bear with me. And being a wordsmith that you are, I think we might go to a fun place. If you were manifest as a car... What would Tony Lewin be, but more importantly, why? Whoa, difficult one. Um, I do have a um, a Golf GTI 16 valve, the original one from 87, which is very much me because I've had that car almost since new. So um, that's kind of me in a way. It's small. It's fun. It, it's, um, it's simple. It's good to drive. That's me. But um, one car I've never owned that could be me is the Lotus Elise, Ooh. which is... Again, simple, small, light, agile, and fun. I don't need hundreds and hundreds of horsepower. I just, but I like quick steering, responsive handling, just a general feeling of being alive. Yeah, and that would tick my boxes too. I think. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, you know, that's pretty cool. You know, I think I had mentioned to you. I might have even sent you a picture. My wife and I. The first new car we bought together uh, was a. Jetta GLI, which was kind yeah. of the Jetta version of that. And I had a, my first new car was an 89 Scirocco. Uh, but I loved, I've always loved the GTIs. Now, I, I, I believe right now VW is going to kind of get rid of that over here in the States and going to an SUV version or their SUV version. I'm kind of disappointed about that. But you think of the Golf over the years, there's another car. Maybe a book could be in the future for that because there's been a lot of variation to think of the Golf R and some really fun cars that VW built. Oh, yeah. Yeah, incredible. And I've probably driven 90% of them, I should think, you know, over the years. Um, there have been some quite spectacular ones. The Golf Rally was quite good. That was four-wheel drive, and I think it – I seem to remember it had a supercharged engine. to get the details now, but it was quite good fun to drive. No kidding. And various other ones, yeah. Very cool. Um, that was in the 80, mid-80s, I think. Yeah. I don't think we got those over here. I don't remember those being over here. I, but. I think it was, it was the Mark II. Anyway, it was probably the ultimate evolution of the Mark II Golf. Now, I always ask my guests about books, but of course, today, the book we're going to be celebrating and promoting is the BMW M, 50 Years of Ultimate Driving Machines by my guest today, Tony Lewin. You know, I have a copy of this book. We're giving away a copy to one lucky Cars yeah subscriber. So go to my website, click on the free book button, put your name in there, uh, and you could win a copy of this. But you know what? Just go out and get yourself one because this is a book that deserves to be on your car library bookshelf. Now, there's some other books that you've written I wanted to mention. BMW Century, another one, How to Design Cars Like a Pro, uh, The Complete Book of BMW, and Speed Read, Car Design, all books that 
Tony has put together. Uh, and also, I understand that you did a translation of a book I have, Junkyard, Behind the Gates of California's Secretive European Car Salvage Yard. That was another Motor Books book. That's a fascinating book. Was that a fun project? That really was great fun, yeah. It was um it was also heartbreaking to see all those wonderful cars just left in big, big scrapyard piles, rusting away, quite tragic, and the, the crash-damaged ones and things. Um, but, but the nutter guy that ran that place, <laughs> I think he's now died since, but, um, you know, it was it was the number of Mercedes SLs, 300 SL altogether, loads of them. Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. I, you know, uh, they sent me, Motorbook sent me a copy that, I believe it was maybe done a couple of years ago, right? It was, yeah. Yeah, pre-COVID. And uh, I just went, what? Like, why? And, but you hear about these, like, you know, farmers out somewhere that have a car sitting in a field and they don't want to let it go. And it's just sitting there. It's like, why would you not want to get, what, you, what is it doing for you? But that, that salvage yard just was mind opening. I just went, oh my gosh, this is, you said that tragic is a great word. The, the guy took in absolutely everything, um, you know, as long as it had a Mercedes or prestigious badge on it. Yeah, yeah. I, do you know what's what has happened with that since? Has that been sold off or gone, or is it still? No, I, I should actually write myself a note to to find out. Okay. I imagine all the bounty hunters have been in there and they. All the pieces and things like that. Yeah, probably so. Well, let me know when you find out. So I'm going to take you on the ultimate drive today, Tony. I've got a wide open checkbook here. I'm going to provide you with any vehicle. You can pick any car in the world. You can go driving anywhere you would like, and you can be with anybody, living or deceased. What does an ultimate drive look like for a guy like you that's driven so many ultimate cars? Well, that's that's a tricky one, but I. I think I'd quite like to be back in that lovely Alpha I had back in the in the seventies. Really, uh, um, and that was a sixty-two model. If that could be magically restored, and um, and at, back on the road, I'd love to be in it, and I'd love to be um, maybe um, driven by Bertone or somebody, the designer of it, to find out how he just created such a beautiful shape when everything else at the time was boxy and boring. Yeah, yeah. That, my dream drive. Maybe driving around uh, Lake Lugano or somewhere in northern Italy uh, with him. That'd be pretty cool. Yeah, exactly. Maybe not too many happy turns and things. I don't think the handling is probably up to modern standards. <laughs> okay. <laughs> there you go. You know, Tony, this has been a great fun chat with you, and I really appreciate you coming on the show and sharing this wonderful new book of yours. Uh, it's just marvelous. Before I let you go, do you have maybe a success quote or words of advice or some inspirational words for us as we have dived into the new year here? Well, I think, gosh, I don't want to sound too moralistic here, but um, I would say don't believe everything you read on the Internet. Your site accepted, of course. Because <laughs> um, people, there are a lot of people who put their opinions up there um, as fact, whereas us journalists who do the hard work get the genuine facts from the right people. You know, printed matter is often much more credible than what you'll find online. You know, so, well said. Treat everything warily online. Caveat emptor. Yeah, absolutely. Do you have a website or a way people can follow along with you? Or is Motorbooks the best place to find what you're putting together these days? Um, well, Motorbooks will have um, the stuff I do for Motorbooks, yes. I don't have my own website now. I've always resisted that. 
But I mean, if anyone wants to get in touch, they can do it by you. If that's okay, Mark, can sure. you do? Yeah, absolutely. Happy to be your uh, be your assistant here. Happy to uh, connect people with you. Yeah, your listeners, you can just reach out to me. I'm easy to find. Uh, Mark at carsyeah.com. I want to thank uh, Steve, my good friend there at Motorbooks, for introducing me to Tony. Uh, he has sent me so many great authors and so many wonderful books and motorbooks. You can go to their website. I'll put a link to it, but they're easy to find, just motorbooks online. Uh, they do some of the finest automotive books, if not the best, available today. So if you're looking for something to put on your shelf or to give to a friend, you know, books are a great gift because they keep on giving. I always give away books to my friends during the holiday season or birthdays. Uh, check out Motor Books. Tony, thanks for being so generous today with your time and expertise. What a wonderful book. Thank you for putting this together for us M fans, BMW fans. Until you and I talk again, my friend, I'll see you down the road. Thank you, Mark. Bye-bye. You're welcome. If you're listening to Cars Yeah, there's a pretty good chance you believe what I believe, that the collector car vehicles we love are more than just a means of getting around from one place to another. They're part of our culture and identity as a people, bringing us together at vintage races, classic car auctions, and thousand-mile rallies. That's why I support the RPM Foundation, which exists to ensure that critical skills necessary to preserve and restore these important vehicles aren't lost to time. RPM stands for Restoration, Preservation, and Mentorship, and their goal is to inspire the next generation of vehicle restoration professionals through its outreach programs, including Shop Hop, Off to the Races, the RPM Future Class, and many more. These programs engage talented young people across the country and connect them with mentors and a variety of opportunities in the future. For more information on how RPM Foundation is driving the future of the collector car vehicles, go to rpm.foundation today. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah! Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah! Yeah!